Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The gospel is the greatest news there is. We just present it for what it is, that the great God, the creator, came down to earth in the person of his son, and he lived among us, and he died in our place, and he rose again from the dead. He conquered the grave. There's no message like that. There's no philosophy like that. There's no theory like that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, in a message titled, The Church in the Beginning. Now, here's Pastor Brian. There are places where any kind of expression of worship is just sort of like, no, we don't do that here. Of course, we should be able to do that within reason, a worshiping community and a praying community. So these are the four things, the the fundamentals here, learning, loving, worshiping, praying. But now I want you to notice that there was a reverence or there was an awe. It says fear fell upon them. And the, the fear here is not a fear like you're frightened. There was a sense of awe. You see, this was something different. Now, remember, these people were gathering in the portico of the temple of Solomon. But there is something noticeably different about this group and their gathering. I mean, there's this whole temple worship thing going on. There's a priesthood and there's sacrifices and there's all of this magnificence. And yet there's no power to it. There's no, nothing awesome about it anymore because it's all just a routine. It's just a religious routine. But now with this group of people, there's something vibrant. There's something happening. And there's a sense that God is there. And this should be the case in our churches. Our churches should be a place where people sense the presence of the Lord, that there is just something different that you know when you walk in or when you, you know, even when you come on to the grounds. I pray as I cross the grounds throughout the week for different reasons. I always pray, Lord, I pray that your presence would be here so that even when people just come onto the parking lot, that they will sense that there's something different about this location. There's an awe. There was an awe among them. There was a reverence. We see that they were a powerful church in that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So there was supernatural activity. We've talked about this a little bit already. There's the power of God that is there doing things that are blessing people. There's healing taking place. There's miraculous kinds of things going on. And again, these are the things that should mark the church. These are the kinds of things that were happening then. These are the kinds of things that should mark a church. We also see that they were generous, that they were caring. And again, we, we see here where they, they were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, now let me just say a quick word here. This particular thing right here was necessary for 
the circumstance that they found themselves in. In other words, this isn't something that is transferable to every church throughout history. Now, all the way throughout the history of the church, yes, there should be generosity, there should be care and concern and helping one another and taking care of one another. But this was a unique situation because remember the people came in from all around the world to Jerusalem. They didn't plan on staying there. They were there temporarily. They ended up having a prolonged stay because of what God was doing and they didn't want to leave it. But eventually everybody would have gone back to their own countries and back to their homes. And that's how the gospel would have spread. One of the ways that it would have spread to the different parts of the world. So some people have looked at, the reason I say this is because some people have looked at this and said, well, you know, this is how every church is to function. Everybody is to have all things in common. So we're supposed to sell our homes and cars and clothes and, you know, put it all in a big pot and uh, distribute it and all. And, and some people have even said, you know, the early church was communistic. And yet the reality is, no, it wasn't. Of course, communism doesn't operate on the, the generosity of people. It operates on the power of people to take things from you and then redistribute them as they see fit. So there's no picture of communism here whatsoever. And this wasn't a permanent or a perpetual thing. It was something that happened for the time there for those people. But the, the spirit behind it, of course, is what is important, that there was a generous spirit, that there was a desire to care for others. And that's how churches should be on down through the ages. And notice also that they continued, verse 46, daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know, it was a joyful environment. It was a joyful environment. And it was the kind of thing that you walked into and you just sensed that there was something joyful about it. And joy is such a great thing. You know, it really is. When you come into an atmosphere of joy, there's something about it. It's just, it's so warm. It's so inviting. And it's, it's the sort of thing that, you know, people want to be in an atmosphere of joy. That's how the church was meant to be. An atmosphere of joy. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're so blessed because of God's goodness and his love and all that he's done for us. But isn't it true that many times throughout the years, the the church has been the very opposite of a joyful experience for people. And actually, there have been periods of time in history and some people in church leadership at times who thought that the atmosphere of a church is to be very somber and to be very uh, serious and so much so that you would not even think to to laugh or to smile. or I mean, there, there have been people that you know, literally thought that the more miserable you were, the more spiritual you were. God help us, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's a, that's a great advertisement, right? Come and commiserate with us. We are all depressed and miserable people. Lord help us. So, three other things I want you to see really quickly. They were a respected church, praising God and having favor with all the people. The, all the people here are the people around them. Now, here's the thing. When the church is what God wants it to be, there's going to be a respect of the church and the culture. It doesn't mean there's going to be an agreement. 
doesn't mean there's not going to be pushback or, or even persecution. But it does mean that regardless of that, there, there's going to be a respect. The sad thing is that the, the church has so often lost respect in the culture because it hasn't been what God has called it to be. It hasn't really committed itself to those fundamentals that we're to be committed to. But when we are rooted in the word and when we're in that kind of fellowship that we're talking about here and when we're really worshiping the Lord and praying and seeking him, you know, there's something that happens. God, God gives a favor to his people. And like I said, you know, not to the extent that there's no pushback or persecution even, but you know, times people will say, well, you know, I don't agree with those Christians at all, but I respect their position because I know that they're sincere I know they really, you know, they're, they're serious about their faith. That, that goes a long way. Many years ago, in the early days of the history of our country here, George Whitfield, the famous evangelist, was preaching all throughout the colonies back in those days. And one of his biggest fans was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was not a believer. He was a deist, really. He didn't believe the gospel. But he would often show up where Whitfield was preaching. And people noticed that, they, that you could find Benjamin Franklin at a, at a, you know, wherever Whitfield was, was preaching, Benjamin Franklin was there. And, and someone once said to him, they said, so do you believe what he's saying? And Benjamin Franklin said, no, I don't, but he does. And that's why I come to listen. So he himself wasn't a believer, but he highly respected Whitfield because of his sincerity and his conviction. So when we are what God wants us to be, there's going to be a respect, not an agreement, but there will be a respect. Years ago, I was in London and I was standing in a place called uh, Speaker's Corner. And Speaker's Corner has a long history of being a place where you know, people just get up and preach, whatever, they preach anything. And over the past, you know, probably 20 years or so or longer, it has been predominantly a place where Islamic clerics come to preach Islam. And I was standing there one day in Speaker's Corner and there was an imam. He was up preaching. And in the course of his message, he just kept blaspheming Christ. And I just thought, okay, if this guy says one more thing, I just cannot let this go. So he did. And so I began to challenge him. And, you know, so we stood there. He was up on his little soapbox thing and I was on the ground. And, and we just had this back and forth, you know, sort of a confrontational thing where I was just seeking to push back and refute the, the blasphemous things he was saying. And I was the only Christian there. And it got a little bit tense. And for just a brief moment, I thought... I might have a knife in my back here any moment. I don't know. Seriously, I mean, it was that, it was that kind of frightening. But obviously that didn't happen. So, But anyway, after it was all said and done and the crowd dispersed, he and I had more of a personal conversation. And this is what he said to me. He said, I respect what you did today. And I said, well... I'm certainly not going to stand here and let you blaspheme my Lord without, you know, challenging you back. And he said, well, I respect that. And, you know, that was kind of the end of it. But, you know, this is the thing. 
They might not agree with us, but if we stand firm in the truth, whether it's you as an individual Christian or us as a congregation or the church collectively together, there will be that sense of respect. And that's what they had in these days. And then the two last things we see is that it was a growing church. The Lord added to the church. It was a growing church. And as we are rooted in those fundamentals, God's going to bless that and the church is going to grow. But how does it grow? Well, it was an evangelistic church. You see, the church doesn't just grow without the engagement of the believers. The way the church grows is through believers sharing their faith with other people. That's how it happens. So this, this was an evangelistic church. They were sharing. They were talking about their experience. They were telling their story of what God had done in their lives. And listen, this is a simple but often overlooked reality. The way people get saved is generally through word of mouth. That is the primary way that people come to know the Lord. Somebody talks to them. Somebody says something to them. Somebody shows them through their life at work. Maybe, you know, they're, they're working next to you and they just go, you know, there's something different about this person. And then they ask you, you know, what's going on with you? But this is the main way. Now, we often think that, you know, we need some big campaign or we need to do this or, and, and, you know, all of those things can have their place, but none of them are a substitute for just good old fashioned talking to people about what God has done in your life. And that's what they did. We all want to see people come to the Lord and they're going to come as we, God's people, open our mouths and as we speak. Now, remember, here we are. We're in the book of Acts. This thing is just getting started. And the trajectory out from here is that they're going to keep going. They're, gonna, they're here for a season and they're going to move on. The church in Jerusalem is going to be established, but the people are going to move on. And we're going to find that they're going out. In some cases, they're being persecuted, so they're having to go out. But we find as they go that they preached the word everywhere that they went. And the word preached there means that they talked about. It doesn't mean that they were all preachers, like standing on a street corner with a bullhorn preaching. But it means that they were talking about, they were telling about what God had done in their lives. And like I said, this is the good old-fashioned way of churches growing. It's because people tell other people what God has done in their lives. And they get invited to a Bible study. They get invited to a church service. They get invited to a community group. They get invited to something where they then maybe hear a message or, you know, they're, they're drawn closer in, but they come to know the Lord. And the thing that is going to be the, the big attractive thing is the distinction between us and the world. More and more, this has been a problem for a long time, but it, you know, today it just seems that there's so much emphasis on being more like the world as the church. And people seem to think that 
you know, if we're, if we're more like the world, we're going to have a greater impact on the world. The opposite is true. When you're more like the world, the world takes zero notice. It's when there's a difference. It's when there's a contrast. It's when there's something that's, you know, unexplainable. But, you know, there's something different with these people. That's when the world is attracted. The Anglicans, many of them, uh, not all of them, of course, there's some great Anglicans, but among the Anglicans, there have been these attempts, you know, to reach the world by being like the world. And I remember when I was living in the UK, you would oftentimes hear about a church who was doing an, an outreach event and they would do like the gospel according to Queen. And they would have like a Queen cover band that would come and, you know, do Queen songs. And then they'd try to like, okay, let's extract the gospel out of, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. What is, uh, what is the, the how, where's the gospel at in this? And you'd think, okay, I used to be a Queen fan. I went to Queen concerts. I never, ever thought they were preaching the gospel. So I don't know how these guys were going to extract the gospel out of the, you know, the gospel according to Queen or the gospel according to the Hugh or the Who or, you know, the gospel according to the Rolling Stones or, you know, it's like, but what, what was their point? Why were they doing that? Well, they thought, you know, if the, if the world sees that we're cool and if they know that we like Queen and the Who and the Stones, then, you know, they're going to want to join us. No, that doesn't work. That's not the means. They need to see something different. They need to see something so far beyond that. They need to see a transformed life. They need to see genuine love. They need to hear truth that resounds because nothing in the world sounds like this. You know, the message of the gospel, it's just so glorious. But we, we undersell it. We just think, oh, well, you know, we got to find some new package to put the gospel in because the gospel's not good enough. Well, the gospel's the greatest news there is. So we don't have to put it in a package. We don't have to try to present it as the newest, coolest thing. We just present it for what it is. That the great God, the creator, came down to earth in the person of his son, and he lived among us, and he died in our place, and he rose again from the dead, and he conquered the grave. There's no message like that. There's no philosophy like that. There's no theory like that. You know, the uh, atheists, they all have their arguments, and they want to debate about this and that and the other thing. And it's like, well, look, I, you know, has any of your leadership risen from the dead? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, so let's talk about the one who rose from the dead. And so the church has these marks, learning, loving, worshiping, praying, awesome, powerful, giving, caring, joyful, respected, growing, evangelistic. That's what we see in this church. And this is a model for successive generations of believers to follow. So this is, this is our model. This is what we want to do. And we want to export this as far around the world as we can. And we've been doing that for 50 years and we're going to keep doing it because this is the need for the church as it's described here in the pages of the New Testament. This is what people need in every community. And when you get away from the frivolity of Western civilization, 
and you get into the places in the world where people are really suffering and they're really hurting and they're really wanting some answers and they're really thirsty, only the gospel will satisfy. And the gospel is satisfying. And I, I heard stories this past week from friends, both in Israel and in Islamic uh, countries who are saying, you know, as, as difficult it is and as, as the challenges are so huge in so many ways, they said there is an openness like we have never, ever seen, ever. A friend of mine who's in his 50s, he's an Israeli, born and raised in the land. And he said, you know, I have never seen opportunities for the gospel like I'm seeing right now. He told me one, one quick story. He said, I, w- I was invited to go to this meeting and I, I walked in and there were 20 very sophisticated men and women in this room. They were doctors, they were professors, they were scientists, they were all of this stuff. And he said they were all studying the Gospel of John as Jews. They're not believers. They're all Jews. They're studying the Gospel of John. They're trying to make sense of it. So they asked him, Could you, what do you think about this? Would you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what, is, what is John's point? And so here he is. He just said, I just said, well, let's look at, <laughs> let's look at John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And, you know, he, he went on to explain to them the understanding of the gospel of John as a believer. And they were very interested. They want to hear more. And, and so this is the, the kind of thing that we see happening. And I think... Uh, Listen, as the world gets more desperate, as things go more and more crazy, I'm reading a book on the history of the nation of Israel right now. And so I'm in 1948. 1948 is the year that the nation was established. That's five, uh, three years after the end of the Second World War, right? In 1947, uh, India became independent of Britain, and India split in two and became Pakistan and India. And, and during that season of time, there was so much havoc. There was so much craziness in the world. And, you know, all of this migration. And in India, probably a million people perished in the migration between India and Pakistan and all of this stuff. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, man, this is really, we're living in a time that's similar to that. The only thing we haven't had is a massive world war. But there's so many similarities to what was happening then just in the brokenness of the world. And as the world becomes apparently more and more broken to people, as they recognize that, you know, this doesn't work, where are they going to get an answer? Well, we have the answer. The gospel is the answer. And the church. But, of course, let's face it, the church has such a bad History. It's left such a bad taste in the mouths of so many people because of compromises with power and those kinds of things. But, but we have an opportunity today in our generation to just to be the church like we read about here in the pages of Scripture. And that's what we've always got to go back to. And so may the Lord help us as a congregation and as individual believers to really just root ourselves in those fundamentals, God's word, fellowship, 
worship, prayer, and then let all of those other things that, that proceed from that, let those things flow. Let those things happen. The joy and the compassion and, and the power and the desire to share and all of those things. And we can see a great work of God in our day. And I believe that we will. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together the Songs of the Saints. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.